Lali Wine, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. I'm Philippe Lecour, a research fellow at the Massava Ramani Center for Business and Government and the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, both of them at the Kennedy School at Harvard. Philippe, you and Eric Bradberg wrote for the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. You wrote an article in early July, and I'm quoting from it, quote, China has not made any new friends in Europe since the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. And if anything, Beijing has seen its standing on the continent markedly decline, end quote. So what is your assessment today, I mean, particularly in view of this high profile summit the Chinese and European leaders held this week? Would you update that assessment in any way? Would you revise it? Or is your assessment more or less the same? So unfortunately, Ali, thanks for your question. Uh, I have to say, you know, the, the summit of Monday between the EU leaders and Xi Jinping, the Secretary General of the Communist Party of China, didn't produce much results. And mm. it was a follow-up of previous meetings that took place in June, uh, the visits by the diplomatic duo uh, Yang Jiexi and Wang Yi to Europe, where they tried to convince uh, of, of you know, China's goodwill, but criticize Europe at the same time and criticize European values. Uh, you, you can see the gap, really, uh, not just values, but also on, on, on core topics, including the economy. The only concrete result of that EU-China virtual summit that took place uh, on Monday was the, the, the signature of a bilateral agreement on geographical indications, <laughs> uh, which, which had been sort of announced like three times before. Mm. But the bilateral investment treaty... Uh, technology transfers issues, state aid, uh, IPI, all of this is still up in the air. And, 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 and it seems that China doesn't want to make a step forward. And as the president of the European Commission said, you know, it, it, it's not enough to say we'll go uh, halfway, you know, 50-50. I mean, you know, China has to make a real effort. And I think Europeans are somewhat, somewhat sensing that, you know, China is not prepared to compromise for all kinds of domestic and, and, and political issues. And that's starting to worry people. And, that's, and a lot of European leaders are calling that the end of naivety. And and even just in the past few months, we were talking about this just before beginning our conversation this morning. Even over the past few months, there is a very palpable shift in tone coming from Brussels. If you look at statements coming from high-ranking uh, European Union officials, uh, German officials, Italian officials, there really seems to be a shift in how Brussels and core Western European powers perceive China. It's it's no longer uh, just a systemic competitor in uh, in economic terms, but you also saw at the summit uh, discussions about human rights, uh, very pointed criticisms about China's crackdown on Hong Kong, its mass internment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. And so it seems that in Brussels now, the aperture for criticism of, of China is expanding well beyond trade and technology, and it's now including more normative dimensions. And if if that assessment is, is correct, and I'd be curious if, if you think it is accurate, but to the extent that Brussels is adopting a more expansive critique of Beijing, uh, do you think that there is a potential for a veritably transatlantic, shared transatlantic approach to managing China's resurgence? Or do you think that there are still core uh, extant differences between how Washington and Brussels conceive of this uh, so-called China challenge? 
Well, there are there is potential, and I've been you know writing about it over the past few years, and and they you know there, there are steps certainly from the from the U.S. side to engage with Europeans. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of common issues. At the same time, you know, signals coming out of the of the of the White House have been somewhat mixed, and a lot of people are doubting President Trump's willingness to engage with Europeans on a, mm. on a purely transatlantic dimension. Having said that, there are a number of issues where Europeans and Americans could cooperate. For example, on the issue of, of government procurement in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in China, you know, Europeans and Americans are in the same boat. They cannot compete with state-owned enterprises on the China markets just because, you know, they've been European champions, being, being encouraged. They're all sort of party-affiliated. Many of them are. Uh, there's the idea of tech transfer, digital trade, standards, all of these issues, in a way, are, are, are sort of very down-to-earth, you know, economic or trade issues where China has misbehaved. Uh, on the human rights things, of course, we can agree to, you know, to believe in human rights, but that's not going to help China to mm -hmm. change. And honestly, on Hong Kong and on Xinjiang, I'm not very optimistic on us making China change. And so, and I guess in a way you kind of preempted or, you know, preempted my question, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you think that this calcification of attitudes in Washington, in Brussels, and in many parts of the Indo-Pacific towards Beijing, do you think that that calcification of attitudes will prompt at least some measure of recalibration in China's regional and global foreign policy? Or do you think that China in advance of the 20th Party Congress is likely to double down? Looks like the next two years are going to be more of the same. But eventually, I think, you know, within the party, there will be voices that want to, to get us back to what China was, uh, you know, maybe in 2012. Only time will tell.